It's the final days of six-year no-interest financing at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Upgrade that leaky, squeaky patio door from just $84 a month. Set your free consultation now at 855-PALA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Hey, let's focus on some good sports news for just a minute. Um, let's not talk about basketball for a second. Let's talk about the Milwaukee Brewers in baseball. Um, they're, they're going into the All-Star break. Three games left against Cincinnati. They have 53 wins. They're 53 and 36. To put it in perspective, the, the teams with the best record in Major League Baseball, 54 wins. So, and that would be San Francisco, Los Angeles, um, Boston, and Houston. They have 54 wins. So the Brewers are, are right up there. And, you know, if they can win a couple more games this weekend, they've got three games left before the All-Star break. It is entirely possible that the Brewers may go into the All-Star break with the best record in baseball. They're seven games ahead, as Brian mentioned during a sportscast, seven games ahead in the Central Division. I'm a do-the-math guy. So if you look at these numbers, okay, the the Brewers have um, the, the Brewers have played – 89 games. And so that means they've got 73 games left. Let's just assume that the Brewers split those games. They, they, matter of fact, let's even assume that they, they lose one more than they win. So they play 500 baseball the rest of the way. To, to even tie them, the number two team, Cincinnati, would have to go 44 and 31. In other words, play at a, at a clip that they haven't played at all year. Now, you can't take anything for granted. And clearly, you know, that, that 11 game winning streak that they had put them in a great position. And yes, you can go into these long losing streaks. I understand that. But, it's it's looking really, really good at the All-Star break that the Brewers are going to win the Central Division. And then you look at the pitching they have, and you just, just, just who knows? Because in these short series in the playoffs, pitching is very, very important. So, I don't know, for people who are a little bit disappointed about what happened out in Phoenix yesterday, I get it. But uh, there, there's something really special going on with the Milwaukee Brewers as well. So that's all very cool. All right, as I mentioned... In the little lead into this, that the theme of today's show is what a mess. And we're gonna we're gonna be talking about a lot of things on Friday that, that this all fit into the what a mess. And if you want to throw a word in between a and mess, well, oh, go ahead and do it. You know what a blanking mess. If if you want, you know, pick the word you want. But it's almost one thing after another that it really you, you really get struck by. Okay, um, yesterday. Mayor Tom Barrett appeared on Wisconsin's Morning News, did a did an eight or nine minute interview where he was talking about the exciting things going on at the Deer District and a, a variety of things. And for about a minute and a half, um, he he got into a discussion with Gene Miller and Jane Matinair about auto thefts in in Milwaukee. Now, let me set the stage for for this. In 2019, all of 2019. There were 3,487 cars that were reported stolen in the city of Milwaukee. Let's round up 3,500. In 2020, 
the number of car thefts increased dramatically. There were 4,511. So there were over a 1,000 more cars stolen in 2019 than in 2020. In 2021, and I just pulled up the numbers, the crime statistics from the Milwaukee Police Department, as of today, as of yesterday, there have already been year-to-date 5,041 cars stolen. In other words, there's 500 more cars stolen as of today than there were all in 2020. And in 2020, there was 1,000 more than 2019. Um, So right now... Halfway through the year, we have 1,700, and at this time last year, there were 718 cars, 1,718 cars stolen. Now there's 55,041. All right, just, just staggering. The numbers continue to go up. If you look at June 11th to July 8th, 889 cars stolen, that translates into almost 30 cars a day, almost 30 cars a day. May 14th to June 10th, 787. So there's no short, there's no cessation of this. Despite the fact that we're talking about auto theft, despite the fact that these numbers are going through the roof, there is nothing at all that indicates that anything that we are doing right now stop is even slowing down the number of car thefts that are out there. So against that backdrop, Here's about a 90-second conversation as part of a larger interview that um, our morning news folks had with Mayor Barrett. Mayor, it's always wonderful to have, you know, out-of-towners come and check out our city and see our city. But any concerns about, you know, reckless driving continues to be a major problem in this city. Uh, carjackings, uh, you know, boosted cars continue to be a huge problem. Well, you know, I saw something just last week that blew my mind in terms of, Auto thefts, because auto thefts are up about 2,800 in one year, okay, from 1,400 to 4,200. In fact, I think the number is 2,805, if I'm not mistaken. The the car thefts of Hyundai, if I'm pronouncing that right, and Kias, I think those those are up 2,785. So an overall increase of about 2,800, 2,785 of those are those two models of cars. So clearly there's an issue there, and and we've reached out to those manufacturers. And I think it has something to do with the FOB and the years that they're produced. But, but obviously we're aware that there are serious problems there as well. But, Mayor, it can't be the manufacturer's fault that their cars are easier to steal. Oh, well, again, I... Obviously, when people are breaking the law, they're breaking the law. But I think anybody who who looks at this increase and says there's a 2,800 increase and 2,785 of them are two brands or two models, we have to work with them. I'm not saying, well, this is what the problem is. I'm saying this is how you solve the problem or this is how you address the problem to make sure that we don't have the car thefts. I'm sorry. I don't understand the word he said. It makes absolutely what what he just said makes absolutely no sense to me. Now, it is true that his, his numbers, I believe, are off, but it's true that there is a disproportionate number of, of Hyundai and Kia automobiles that are stolen. About 60 percent of the cars that are stolen are, are those. And it's because and I don't want to go into details on this as to how exactly you do it, but it, it's it's a little easier to steal them because 
If you know what you're doing, you can get in without fully busting in a window. You you can you can it's easier to get into the car. And then once you get into the car, you you disable the steering column. And I don't want to talk about the particulars, but but it's it's it, so it's true that it's a little bit easier to get a window or the rear window or get a side window of those cars out than it is perhaps other cars. Okay? And and that's that is that is true. But, you know, the, the mayor, instead of talking about, let's get the car thieves off the street, let's prosecute the juveniles that are stealing these cars, he's talking about what, like, these two older people did a couple weeks ago. They send a letter to Kia and Hyundai saying, hey, it, it's, you know, your, your cars are being stolen. You know, what are you going to do about it? To me, it is like saying to somebody whose house has been burglarized, well, You know, you only had two locks on the door instead of three. So it's your fault because they were able to jimmy, you know, those two locks. Why don't you have another deadbolt on there? Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You want to talk about not being able to see the forest for the the trees. I mean, the, the forest is the fact that you have out-of-control car thefts. And and yes, maybe it's easier to steal certain types of vehicles, but do you really think that, let's say, the manufacturers of these cars, let's say they put in that extra deadbolt lock, okay? So it takes the car thieves an extra 30 seconds to get in the car. Do you think that that's going to significantly stop the car thefts, or is maybe what we should be doing, identifying those people that are stealing the cars in the first place and then get them off the street. 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, this idea that, all right, it's the manufacturer's fault that we've got criminals that are out there that are stealing cars at a pace of 30 cars a day, and we need the manufacturers to address it. Well, okay, maybe isn't the underlying problem that you've got criminals who feel completely and totally entitled to go out and steal pretty much whatever they want? And do you really seriously believe that, all right, if you can get these manufacturers to make some sort of adjustment so it's a little more difficult to get into those cars, do you think that these criminals are going to suddenly stop stealing cars? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Look, look I understand that there's, there's no easy solutions. And I also understand that you have elected officials in Milwaukee that do not want to confront the real problem, which is that you have a repeat criminal element that is out there and is going to continue committing crimes until you get them off the street. They don't want to deal with that. But this if you look at these car theft numbers, they're absolutely staggering. I mean really staggering. And the response that you're getting from both the mayor of the city of Milwaukee and members of the Common Council is, well, a disproportionate number are Kias or Hyundais, and, and that's because it's it's easier to steal those than others. Okay, so we we want them to make it tougher to steal those cars. To me, that is exactly like saying, all right, you've locked your door. Somebody's broken into the car, into your house. It's your fault because you didn't have a better deadbolt on there. Why don't we address the underlying problem, which is getting the criminals off the streets and holding them accountable? Let's talk to Milwaukee County Circuit Judge David Borowski. Judge, good afternoon. Afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Well, I'm a little frustrated with this, Your Honor. <laughs> well, I, I I join you in 
frustration. Um, but I'm glad you're bringing this up over my lunch hour here because the situation in Milwaukee is out of control. And at times I think that's me being on the wrong, wrong side of 50 and getting old and cranky. But the crime problem in Milwaukee is the worst it's been in either of our lifetimes. And that's just a fact. Every single crime category there is is up. Yep. Homicides have doubled. Non-fatal shootings, domestic violence, armed robberies, and lately, reckless driving, of course, and car thefts. Uh, I like your analogy, but I'll give you a different one for you and your listeners. You'll remember from your years in law enforcement what's referred to uh, commonly as the rape shield law. Mm -hmm. That, of course, you know, was instituted decades ago because occasionally you would have a defense attorney wrongly effectively blame a sexual assault on a female because, well, you know, they dress really kind of hot or they dress inappropriately, so they had it coming. That's effectively what you're saying to the Kia and Hyundai owners. It appalls me that you have aldermen blaming the car manufacturer when the people that need to be blamed are the people that are engaging in the activity. Mm -hmm. I, I sometimes feel, Jeff, like I'm the last voice on this in Milwaukee County. Well, it is so frustrating to see no one outraged at the problem because of those, let's say, 4,000 or 5,000 auto thefts, at least 3,000 of those roughly probably are not recovered. Or when they're recovered, they're totaled. Right. So for every one of those car thefts, there's an actual person, a victim behind that. So there's a, a mother who can't get to work. There's a dad who can't drop his kids off at school. There's a family who can't, you know, do their day-to-day -day activities. But we just collectively in Milwaukee have decided we're going to shrug and move on to the next topic. Right, and of course, Judge, and of course, Judge, there's the other thing too. Like, to, for to the extent that these cars are being stolen to take on joy, joy rides and stuff, you you always have the, the situation where you have the 16 year old that's driving the stolen car at 95 miles an hour, going the wrong way, and ends up and hits and you know kills somebody. Sometimes they kill themselves. Sometimes they kill their passengers. Sometimes they kill that that innocent person who just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. And then we all kind of you know again rub our hands together and shrug our shoulders and say, well, how did it get this way? But, I, what, I mean, what, what is the solution? Why, why, let me just ask you this, Judge. Why, why don't, why are we so unwilling to hold the criminals accountable, if, if that's a fair comment? Well, I think it's certainly, if not fair, it's close to fair. And collectively in Milwaukee, we, one of my frustrations living here my entire life is our acceptance of chronic problems in this community. And don't get me wrong, I, I love living in Milwaukee for the most part, and there's tons of good things about being here. Whether it's the Bucks in the finals or Summerfest this year being in the fall, there are tons of good things. But we have chronic problems that we don't address. Mm -hmm. The problem here is not Hyundai and the auto manufacturers. The problem is we've developed in the last couple of years a culture of youth not being held accountable. And that means first of all, by their parents or guardians, but it also means by law enforcement, by other civil and criminal authorities, by the district attorney's office, and yes, by the courts. Why we continue to do that, I don't know. But as you said, Jeff, and that's a, another very, very valid point, as you may recall, I'm in a homicide court right now, 
and I see the carnage that is wrought in this community when last year, 2020, we had 107 driving homicides. That's not counting the other 200 predominantly shooting homicides. We had 107 driving homicides last year in Milwaukee. That means, by my math, roughly every three days, someone is killed, often by someone who's stolen a car or is riding, joyriding in a car that was stolen by somebody else. It, it bothers me that we don't take the problem seriously and that we don't hold the people accountable, starting with the parents. Yep. And when it comes to the police, they, they are, as you know, Jeff, the police are overwhelmed. Yep. With the homicide rate and the other, not that I'm discounting auto theft, because as I said, it's very, very troubling for those families, but that's way down the totem pole. When you have 200 homicides last year and domestic violence doubled and all the other armed robberies and other problems, the police are overwhelmed. So it needs to be fixed by other people. Got it. Judge, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. I, I appreciate it. The, 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 the thing I would add to that a, as well is, and this is not an indictment of the police. It is a, I know, cause look, I, I speak to a lot of line, line officers and they will tell you one of the frustrations is you, you, you catch somebody that's, all right, this is the fourth or fifth time they've been down this route, particularly juveniles with auto thefts and, and nothing happens to them. They're, they're just, they're slapped on the wrist over and over again. I mean, show me the last time some juvenile car thief ended up getting waived into adult court. I mean, that's kind of the challenge. Unless, unless when driving the car, they hit and killed somebody. I mean, but as a general rule, go out, steal car after car after car. You're not going to be held accountable. Look, I mean, here's the, this is the overriding frustration of, of all this that just, you know, nothing, Nothing happens to hold people accountable. And if you talk to the cops, one of the things that they will tell you is that it's still a relatively small number of criminals who are committing these crimes of the. OK, now I'm, I'm just I'm, this is my estimate. So of the like 5000 cars that have been stolen this year, you know, my guess is there's not 5000 separate car thieves. I mean, follow me on this. My guess is that you have a relatively small, hardcore number of people who are going out and stealing car after car. My and again, I, I, I so I don't know. Are are fifty percent of the cars being stolen by that small number of people? Could be. I mean, of course, the authorities would have better numbers of that, but because a lot of them are juveniles, the public never finds that out. It's just you, you want to say. Look, this is a mess. And sitting there and saying, well, you know, we're, we're looking to Kia and Hyundai to make it a little bit tougher to steal their cars. Well, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I don't have a problem with that. But let's let's face it. As long as you have these people that are out there committing these crimes and willing to steal cars, you know, all right. So you, you make it a little tougher. So it takes you 15 seconds instead of five seconds to do what they do to get into these cars. It's not like the car thieves aren't going to do it. It's not like they're going to go away. What? A mess. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Let me sneak in one more call before the news. Steve in Milwaukee. Steve, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I think the, the issue is the bad guys, they, they just don't care. Uh, what's going on in my neighborhood? We have these teenagers kind of roaming around overnight, and they're checking the back doors of houses. And unfortunately, my neighbor left his door, his back door unlocked. Bad guys reached in, stole his car keys, and stole the car. The next day, the police recovered the vehicle, and uh, about uh, eight hours later, it was stolen again. 
because the bad guys came back. They still had the keys. Uh-huh. So they went into his garage, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Everybody was home. Everybody saw it happen, and they took off. So stolen twice in 24 hours. That's <laughs> that, that's almost kind of un- unbelievable. Did they ever recover it the second time, or did it just disappear? No, no, they recovered it a second time. Uh, actually, both of his cars were stolen. It was just one that was stolen twice. So we had the, the police with us uh, up and down right. the block for, you know, a good solid day there. Right. And, of course, there, there are some people, Steve, who would listen to that fact description you just had and, and then blame your neighbor. I mean, how, how dare he, you know, not, not how dare he forget to lock his back door? Because don't you know that there's, there's going to be kids that are going to be roaming in people's backyards and, and checking to see if the doors are locked? And, I mean, it's, you know, when, when can right. we just say it's the criminals, it's the roving band of kids that are just completely and totally emboldened to, to do this? And it, yeah. I guess that's the frustration I have. Yeah. No, thanks yeah, for calling. It's too lazy, in yeah. my opinion. It's too lazy, in my opinion, to blame the, the car manufacturers. I remember Chrysler products were being stolen in the early 2000s, and they tried to blame Chrysler, but really it comes down to the bad guys and enforcement. No, it does. No, th- thanks for calling. Because, I mean, here's the bottom line. If, if you've got people who are out there and emboldened to steal cars, and, and so maybe – Maybe, you know, the, the auto manufacturer makes some adjustments. So, and again, I don't want to talk about this in too much detail. Not that, not that anybody who's, I think, going to go out and steal cars is listening to the program now. But okay, so let, let's say they make a couple adjustments and, and so, it, it takes a, an extra 15 seconds to get into the, the car. Um, all, all that's going to do is just say, okay, well, if, if it's harder to, to get into the Kias or the Hyundais, we're, we're just going to take the Audis or the BMWs or the Hondas or, or whatever. Mayor, it's not the car manufacturers. Members of the Common Council, it's not the car manufacturers. It's the criminals. And collectively, you need to use your bully pulpit to start calling out the criminals, calling out decisions by the DA's office, funding the police, and calling out judges who don't hold these punks accountable. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. See, the general public is so far ahead of where the chattering class are, the politicians are on on issues like crime and car theft and things like this. It, it's it's not even funny. Let me just share a couple of the numerous texts we got during that conversation. Jeff, why don't they release the names of juveniles who are committing these crimes? Because they're adult crimes. I understand not releasing the names of a juvenile who stole a candy bar from a grocery store, but these are actual juveniles committing adult crimes. If you put their names out there, maybe a little shaming is what they need. Oh, we can't do that, though, because we've got these little darlings, and and, and we want to be completely and totally concerned about rehabilitation. And if we... If we let the general public know that, hey, on your block, there's a kid who's now stolen his eighth car and is still out there on the block. Well, you know, it, it you, you, you might you might uh, look askance at him. Well, well, yeah, absolutely. My argument would be, why aren't we doing that? And I, I agree. The juvenile justice system is a complete and total mess. And when I say juvenile justice system, there is very little justice, especially when it comes to the victims of juvenile crimes. Um, Jeff, the same problem with car thefts. I remember back in the 70s and 80s, Ford had issues that made them easier to steal. Same with GM. But back then, officials never blamed the manufacturer. Well, yes, this is a different time where we don't hold people accountable. Jeff, I must live in Mayberry RFD in Fond du Lac at a grocery store. I 
I'm at, at least a third of the windows in the vehicles are completely down. Guess we're not worried. Well, that is the difference between, I guess, Fond du Lac and the city of Milwaukee. Because trust me, if you, you, you take a grocery store parking lot and if you have, oh, a third of those car windows are down, my guess is in the 15 or 20 minutes, it takes for people to go shopping. You, you'll come out and, and you'll find that most of those car windows that are down, the cars are now gone. Even if you have the car windows rolled up, there's not that. They, there's 30 cars stolen a day on average. I mean, that's amazing. Jeff, someone stole a car and set it on fire next to my garage, which then set my garage on fire. All anyone in authority said is, well, you have insurance, right? It's and a number of people are asking. Okay, what what are the, what is being done with these stolen cars? Well, there, there's a variety of things. In, in some cases, they're going to chop shops where they're being you know chopped up for parts. In many other cases, what's happening is they're being used for other sorts of criminal activity, like rolling drug houses. You know, the idea that we've got this stolen car now. So here we're selling dope out of the car and you know, you just, you hit us, you call us on your, on your burner cell phone, tell us where to meet you and we'll drive that. So there's that. And then honestly, a lot of the cars are just being stolen for fun to be taken on high speed and dangerous joy rides that generally end with the car being you know, cracked up and abandoned somewhere and then, you know, stripped of anything of value in it. So it's all sorts of things that that they're being done, that they're being used for. But nobody in power seems seems to care about this. Um, Jeff, point taken, and I don't disagree, but what tools does the mayor have in his powers to solve the problem? He doesn't control the judicial system. Well, okay, my response would be, all right, instead of talking about the car manufacturers and shifting blame, right, what Tom Barrett could be doing is he could be pressuring the courts, the judges in Milwaukee County. He could be pressuring them in saying, okay, look, here, here's the deal. Let's start focusing on these cases. Let's start making this a priority. All right, let's talk about the judge that just took the guy that's been arrested six times for car theft, theft, thief, thievery, and put him out on bail again so he can steal another car. I mean, yes, there's all sorts of things you could do. And, and by the way, increasing police response and putting more cops on the street would be a good start. Um, Jeff, my husband is a cop, and there's been an uptick in the theft of some Audis due to... Uh, and I'm not going to say what this is, not that I'm thinking people are going to steal cars or listening to it, but it's something like this. The criminals, um, okay, so, you know, after you end up with a stolen car, said, okay, so the bottom line is, you know, you know, you're either going to end up with a stolen car or a smashed window. Hey, Mr. Mayor, don't forget to blame Audi as well. Jeff, our mayor is either lying to himself or others or extremely unintelligent. There's no other explanation. No, he's not unintelligent. He just he doesn't want to confront the underlying issue, which is that crime is out of control. It's easier to blame a car manufacturer. It's easier to blame you if you don't have the deadbolt lock on your door when somebody breaks in than it is to actually confront the real thing of holding the criminals that are holding the criminals accountable because because that's tough and it may be politically unpopular if it turns out that the vast majority of crimes are being committed by too many of this type of person or that type of person and then it's like oh well, well how dare we we lock all these people up well you you, you lock up hardcore criminals you punish non-hardcore criminals to deter them from becoming hardcore 
criminals. Jeff, why can't um, they use their heads and prosecute minors um, who are doing all the car thefts? It's easier to blame the car manufacturers. I'm just shaking my head at how things operate. Um, well, there is an element to that. Jeff, this is a perfect example of the world we live in. There's no self-accountability, and everything that happens is everyone else's fault. Um, yes, exactly. Um, what, you know, what, what, what can you end up doing? Jeff, so sad again. I must say this is a lack of leadership in Milwaukee. If a person steals a car or carjacks a car, they're back on the street the next day, no matter how many offenses. Please lock them up with no questions asked. Well, I don't have a problem asking questions. Um, I don't have a problem with asking questions. I just think, that the answers to those questions are hold people accountable. Jeff, the audio clip, audio clip of the mayor brings to mind the line from Billy Madison, the one where what you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I've ever heard. Well, I, look, I, I, I don't know. But, but at some point in time, don't we have to confront the real issues? And blaming car manufacturers for out-of-control crime, to me, it just doesn't work. And the question becomes, <clears throat> how much of this are, are people who live in the city going to handle? And, you know, what is this doing overall to, I mean, businesses in the city? If 30 cars are being stolen a day, all right, if you live in the city, you've got no choice. But what about people from the suburbs who might otherwise, I don't know, be driving down to Milwaukee who are now saying, hey, 30 cars a day. I don't, I don't want to leave my nice vehicle on the streets of Milwaukee while I go into a store for 20 minutes because when I come out, you know, am I going to be one of those numbers? You've got to get control of this. When we come back, speaking of getting control, everything old is new again. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, the theme today, what a mess. And that's that leads me to the announcement today made by the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission, the ultimate gang that couldn't shoot straight, that uh, on Monday... Al Morales, the former chief of police in Milwaukee, will return and will become the present chief of police in Milwaukee. Now, let let me be real clear here. I think Alfonso Morales was one of the best chiefs the city of Milwaukee has had in the last couple decades. But what we also know what happened is he was never the mayor's choice. And he was a split choice by the Fire and Police Commission, members of the Common Council who were playing to a a small but loud members of their base who didn't like the fact that Al Morales was tougher on crime than they thought he should be. And they didn't like the fact that he was cracking down on people and making sure that, you know, we didn't have the degree of riots that we had in Milwaukee like they had in, say, Kenosha or maybe even Madison. They didn't like any of that. So Al Morales got on the wrong side of some generally liberal generally pro-criminal members of the community. And so what happened is the Fire and Police Commission ousted him, and, and we all know the circumstance. What, what they did is they demoted him, which was effectively what they call in the law a constructive discharge. That means that they didn't really, they didn't formally fire him from the department, but they essentially forced him to quit. So they demoted him to captain. He then left, sued. We all know the results of that. A Milwaukee County Circuit Judge has said, by the way, with the agreement of the city attorney that the Fire and Police Commission violated his various rights, 
And he's entitled under the law to have his job back unless they can reach a settlement. Well, the city of Milwaukee apparently doesn't want to pay him um, what he would otherwise be entitled to, so they'd rather have him come back. Now, I think having Al Morales back as the head of the police department is is a great thing. But but there's a big but that, that goes along with this. All right, first of all, you have to understand that Al Morales has got to be free to run the police department like he thinks it, it's appropriate to run the police department. Now, the Fire and Police Commission's had a lot of turnover, but if the Fire and Police Commission is now going to try to micromanage his actions and say, okay, well, Al Morales wants to bring back the gang squad. Al Morales wants to start implementing more of a broken windows type of thing, and the Fire and Police Commission ends up telling him no, well, we're just going to be right back where we were months ago. If Al Morales is going to come back, the Fire and Police Commission has to step back and let him do his job. I don't know that they're necessarily going to be willing to do that. On top of it, you've got to understand when I say what a mess, this is the deal. In the, well, he, he left, he was demoted in August. Since then, you've had now two interim police chiefs. All right, those interim police chiefs, they've they've surrounded themselves with, mem- they've got a command staff. So they've promoted you know, people that they wanted to promote, that that's fine. But I have a pretty good idea that some of the people that have been promoted to different positions are people that um, now Chief Morales doesn't necessarily think belongs in those positions. So it will be interesting to see how, how this is handled, namely... You know, what's going to happen to people who might have been elevated in the last few months? Um, are, are they going to now be demoted? Are, are new people going to come in? It's just a complete and total mess. Now, again, I think it's great that Al Morales is back as the police chief. I just don't see how this is a workable sort of situation. I, I don't, which is why I think the city cheapening they're, they're cheaping out in, in not paying him i mean look at all the money the city of milwaukee pays to people who have claims some of which are are not exactly the the, the most valid sort of claims but they pay them because it's the politically correct thing to do so if you're going to bring al morales back that that's great but you've got to get out of his way and you've got to and this is addressed to the mayor and the common council and the fire and police commission you, you've got to let him do his job because if all this is is a sham you you bring him back but now what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to get rid of him again except this time we're going to try to do a better job of dotting our i's and crossing our t's which is entirely possible given the way the fire and police commission has behaved over the years well then you're not doing anybody any good then it's better to just pay him send him on his way and and move on with whoever the the new broom is that you're going to bring in and let that new broom sweep clean so I mean, here's the deal. If this is a shotgun marriage, that that's fine. But you have to allow Al Morales to be Al Morales. And I'm just not sure that the, again, the Fire and Police Commission, the Common Council, or the mayor are willing to do that. And if they're not, that's just a betrayal of the people in the city of Milwaukee. So I, I don't know how all this is, is going to work out. I'm candidly surprised that it's gotten to this stage. I I thought at some point in time, some people in the city of Milwaukee would have just recognized that, look, I think it's important to end up moving on, and so you'd pay them. Plus, you know, uh, 
Chief Morales, he's got a federal lawsuit. I mean, you've got the 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 lawsuit about the job, but he's got a federal lawsuit that's pending against the city as well. So now you're going to be in a position of a chief who was improperly fired, who's now reinstated as the chief, and at the same time, you know, he's pursuing a, a federal action against the city. It's just what what is what are those three words we've been using to describe this program today? It's a mess. It's just an absolute mess. I hope it all works out for the best, because like I say, I think the Fire and Police Commission uh, did a huge, not, not just let's put aside the illegal behavior but, that they engaged in, in uh, getting rid of the chief in the first place. But I, I think that, you know, by having the interim chiefs and all this stuff, they, they've really kind of betrayed law enforcement in Milwaukee at a time where we really need leadership. But if you're going to bring him back, you, you've got to give him the authority to do what he thinks is best. I don't see how this can possibly be a working relationship. But in this case, I really, really hope that I am wrong. In any event, the way it stands now, um, Al Morales, the f- police chief again, past and now future police chief starting on Monday. We'll see how this turns out. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, in the last hour, we, we, we talked about issues affecting the city of Milwaukee. Let's take a more global approach for the first segment today. Let me back into this topic. I have a very dear friend. Um, she's She's been a friend of mine for, gosh, a, a, a long time. And she's got one, one of these really compelling backstories. Right now, she's a very, very successful attorney. She works for a big big company that everybody would know if I mentioned it. And on top of that, she's just just a wonderful person. Uh, here, here's the deal. Her backstory is she came to the United States as, as a refugee. We, we always, we kind of kid around because it's like when, whenever we're in discussions and some people are saying, well, how about, how, want to go camping? She's like, no, I don't camp. And it's like, why? Well, okay, I was a refugee. We lived in tents for, for a long time. And, and here's her story because my friend is from Vietnam. And uh, her Mother, her mother worked for the U.S. government um, during the, the war in, in, in Vietnam. And what happened was they her if, if, if her mother and her family, and their, the family would have stayed after Saigon fell. I mean, it, it would not have been a pretty sight. There's just no question about it. And they were not. On the last helicopter out of Saigon in 1975, you've all seen those those you know images um, of the U.S. Embassy and the people trying to climb on it. They weren't on the last helicopter, but they they were on one of the last helicopters. I think they got out three or four days before Saigon fell, and they were you know taken to another country, I think, and then ultimately brought to the United States and uh, settled in the Midwest. And um, it, it just it's just a great success story. I have a, the greatest respect for my friend. But, you know, this was a case where if you talk to the mom and dad, they love the United States because they, they believe that the United States did everything that they could have done. First of all, it got them out of Vietnam alive and it helped them resettle and, you know, start a, a whole new life. And the kids have gone on to great success and, and things like that, which is, of course, the obligation that, that you owe. If you look at what happened in Vietnam, you can argue 
that this this was inevitable. I think, you know, in hindsight, I think we can recognize that we, we should have gotten out of Vietnam a long time before we got out of Vietnam. You can argue that Vietnam, we, we misjudged this as this effort of communist world domination when it was really just a civil war, making all those sort of, sort of arguments. But at the end of the day, you know, our, our mission in Vietnam failed. That That's just kind of the reality. Well, all right, that was 1975. Here we are in 2021. And the President of the United States, I think in some respects, is as delusional now about what hap- what is going on in Afghanistan as perhaps Presidents Johnson and President Nixon uh, were back in the 60s and 70s when it came to Vietnam. If you've been paying attention to this, a number of months ago, Joe Biden, who has never never supported a continuing mission in Afghanistan. When he was vice president in 2009, he argued that we should get out of Afghanistan. And um, he was overruled by others in the Obama administration. Um, he, you know, he's, he'd been, you know, pushing that he was overruled by others in the Obama administration. And, you know, we, we've stayed in, in um, Afghanistan. He, has made it clear that we're out. And now most of the troops have left. I think they've left the, the, the Kabul, um, Air Force Base. You have a number of the military advisors saying that, uh, Afghanistan is on the verge of breaking into a, a civil war. You have the, the Taliban, which is taking over vast parts of the country again, knowing that the United States is gone. You have Afghan Afghani troops who are deserting. They're leaving their USAID met, what made weapons. A, just a lot like you know what happened in Vietnam. Once the American troops kind of left, what you had is you had the South Vietnam Vietnamese troops who didn't want to fight and things like that. It, the, the parallels are, are eerie. You had the president who, while not making a commitment initially, has finally said, OK, well, what we're going to do is we, we've got to make arrangements to get all the all the Afghanis who like helped the U.S. military serves interpreters, et cetera, et cetera. We got to get them out of there. And and now they're in this rushed kind of warp speed effort to get those get those people out of there, because, you know, if. If the Taliban catches them, you know that it's not going to be pretty. So it, it looks like after 20 years in Afghanistan, it looks like we're kind of back to where we, we started. Now, President Biden has had a couple of remarks because now e- even the, the lefty reporters that have covered this are, are starting to realize that it, it's not working out that, that well. Um, you know, President Biden has maintained that, you know, we, we, we were able to accomplish our objectives. We, uh, we caught Osama bin Laden and, you know, Osama bin Laden is no more. So we've done that. He says this isn't Vietnam. What's going on isn't Saigon. That's the, that's the party line. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We were in Afghanistan for 20 years. The problem with Afghanistan, in my opinion, is it, it is it is very much a quagmire, just like Vietnam. And the fact that you have these different warring factions that are there and the fact that once the U.S. pulls out, you, you now see what's happening. And it was predictable. You've, you've got the Taliban that, that's coming in. The flip side of this, though, is that 
you know, we didn't go in there for nation building. And, you know, if we kept American troops there for another five years or 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, would, would the outcome be any different? Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Should we have pulled out of Afghanistan? My answer is, I think this was inevitable. I just think the way we did it was wrong by saying, okay, we're going to have no presence uh, by September and not making arrangements to get the people who helped us out of there because what's going on now is, is predictable. I don't think we could have been there forever. But let's be honest here. You know, we we have not accomplished that the Afghanistan mission is not a success by any objective measure, because the Taliban is already taking over huge parts of the country. And to say, oh, okay, this this isn't Kabul, this isn't Saigon, this isn't Vietnam, I I think is to ignore the historical reality of of what happened in Vietnam. It's happening again in Afghanistan. Now, maybe this was inevitable, but let's not deny it. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we have stayed, or is it right to go? And in going, can we acknowledge that um, that that means that the last 20 years, which have forestalled another 9-11, but can, can we really call what we did in Afghanistan a success? 855-616-1620, we discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. And, and, and yes, a couple of people are pointing out the, the positions have changed over the years. President Bush got us into Afghanistan after 9-11. President Obama continued the mission over the objections of then-Vice President Joe Biden. Donald Trump, he, he was America first. He's been pushing to get us out of Afghanistan, and Joe Biden has now considered that. So, okay, the, the Trump-Biden argument has now won. We're bailing on Afghanistan. I I agree that I don't. we could not have stayed there forever. I mean, I think the mistakes, in my opinion, that Biden made was in announcing a date certain for the withdrawal instead of just kind of quietly doing it because it has emboldened the Taliban. And I, I think while that was going on, you know, you, you could have kept that secret. and We could have been working to get our allies, for example, the interpreters and stuff out because it was inevitable. That, you know, what is happening now, I think, was inevitable. I guess I also take issue with President Biden saying, well, this is not. Saigon. Yes, it is Saigon. It, it, it is it is eerily similar to what happened in South Vietnam when the U.S. pulled out. Now, that doesn't mean that we could have been there forever. But let's let's not deny the realities. OK, let's talk to Jeff and Madison. Hi, Jeff. Hey, thanks for taking the call. Sure. I, I, I just don't know when leadership left, right or or otherwise it's going to truly learn from history. I mean, the, the French dragged us into Vietnam. They wouldn't, it, that, that, that's what it was. It was, a, it, was a, mm-hmm. it was an attempt to get them to join NATO at the time, and we sat and watched the French get their stock kicked out of them for years um, and then followed it and thought we could get a different result. We, right. did, we did the same thing. That, 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 obviously, the thesis around Afghanistan is we'll fight, them, we'll fight them there so we don't have to fight them here uh, that was a political slogan by the way that that had nothing to do with reality we we didn't learn from the russians getting the stock kicked out of them for years in afghanistan i mean it just it's amazing to me so long story short too late there is no there is no correct way to pull out you can't if you did it 
it, you know, quietly, it wouldn't matter. You're going to have warring tribes that have been dominating that area of the world for centuries. Yep. Maybe, maybe they move in a month later instead of days later, but it doesn't. I, I, I understand the criticism. I, it's not lost on me. But the real story here is why in the hell were we there to begin with? And, and, and we just... And there is law. No, thank, thanks for calling. Now, see, now, my, let me... I, I agree with you that once the once the pullout occurs, this, this was going to be inevitable. My point was by by not giving a date on this, you could have had more time to, and that's why I started this conversation talking about my friend who was was a refugee from Vietnam. You could have had more time to get those people that you got to get out because you know if the, the Taliban takes over these various towns, you know they're going to be put to death. That's just the reality of this. You could have had more time to do that instead of what they're doing now, which is rushing to find these people and get them the heck out of, out of Dodge. That was my point. But I, I mean, I, I agree. This was, I, I think, in the beginning, the Afghanistan mission, and, and you're right, it was fight them there, but it was also let's try to find Osama bin Laden. Let, let's try to, you know, cut the head off of the Taliban. Once that was accomplished, I think you can make a strong argument that, you know, we, unless we're into nation building, um, it, it, it was time to do this a long time ago. I just think that we, we've got to understand that what we're seeing really is, it really is Saigon in 1975. And I don't think by denying that we, we, we do anybody any good. And, and Vice, and President Biden is very upset that he's being criticized about this. But okay, instead he should just simply say, hey, we shouldn't have been there. Period. I, I was arguing about pulling out in 2010 and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna risk more American lives for a part of the world that we're never going to be able to stabilize. And, and I understand that attitude, but let's not pretend that, you know, what's going on now wasn't predictable. And let's not pretend that it's it's not a disaster in some respects. But I'm not arguing we should have stayed because, again, I don't know. To your point, Jeff, I, I think the reality is whenever we pull out, I think you're right. This was inevitably going to going to happen because you're talking about the part of the world where there have been. There's there's been civil war going on pretty much you know since these there have been these these countries and since the country has existed since the region has existed and I don't know that that's ever going to change unfortunately David in Milwaukee David you're on WTMJ Jeff I um, know there's some claims that um, there's some responsibility in pulling out some people out of Afghanistan as if we're doing the, the most righteous thing however. Um, what they're not mentioning or what not acknowledging is that uh, eventually those who are left are going to be just devastated. Women and uh, those that they interpret as being cooperative with uh, yep. our government. Oh yeah, um, it's going to be it's going to be a, a hellish existence for all of them uh, at this point. So, oh yeah, no, it's 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 you're going to be. You know, some of the military advisors, now David, thanks for the call. Some of the military advisors say that they think that the, the government in Kabul will, will last maybe six months. And, and I think a lot of the military advisors and a lot of the people around President Biden are surprised at, at how much ground the Taliban has already taken over. And again, you get these stories. Now, some of them are anecdotal. The number I was looking at, like 150 Afghan troops just deserting. And again, the stories just like you got out in Vietnam with the South Vietnam. 
Vietnamese troops leaving their weapons and just turning tail and, and running. That does not speak well. Now, I don't know if Kabul is going to fall as fast as Saigon fell. Don't know how long it's going to last. But I agree with you. It's it's what what you're going to see is, you know, pretty much what we've seen over history. And it's not going to be a pretty sight. I want to be clear. I, I don't think we could have stayed there forever. I, I agree with that. You know, we've been there for 20 years. And unfortunately, during that 20-year period, the the government in Afghanistan was never able to get strong enough to, uh, again, exist on its own without the American support. And, and you can't commit to doing that forever. I just don't think that that's a reasonable sort of thing. So I don't fault Biden for this, just like I didn't fault Trump when Trump was talking about the withdrawals either. I, I do fault them a little bit. I fault them more than a little bit. I fault them in the way they went about the the removal and this this now denial that we seem to be in about what the consequences of that removal is going to be. Who knows what that part of the world is going to look like in the next 10 or 20 years? Who knows whether the Taliban is going to be able to come in and, propo- and present, again, a, a threat of, of worldwide terrorism? Don't know how that's going to turn out, but it's not going to be a pretty picture. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Hand in the ear. I swear I am not making this up. Now, the one thing that I think that we can agree on is that the Milwaukee trolley, Tom's Trolley Folly, has been a complete and total flop thus far. The the number of riders that were predicted based on people paying well, we would have never achieved that. I mean, I think the numbers where they said, well, we'll get 1,800 people a day, but that was based on people paying a buck. Well, th- th- we, they've never had to pay. And, and yes, early on, riding it for free, you had more than that 1,800, but, but that fell off. And we are now at a point where I think even the most pro-trolley advocate would recognize that, hey, if we charged people even a quarter to ride the thing, our, our numbers would be amazingly even lower than they are now. So it's, What's what's going on with the trolley is the estimates are you're going to have to take like as it stands now about three million dollars a year out of the city of Milwaukee's operating budget money that could be used to I don't know fix the roads money that could be used to hire cops all those things you're going to have to take it out just to support the failing streetcar system well there's two ways you could go about this one is when you've dug a hole you could fill in the hole climb out declare victory or you can keep digging. And I swear, I cannot make this up. Here's the latest story. The city of Milwaukee is going to continue digging. They have just, apparently, they're, they're getting ready to take another quarter of a million dollars to study an extension of the system from the Third Ward South to around South 6th Street and National Avenue. Now, that's not a quarter million dollars to build the thing. That's just to study this with the idea that, okay, once we, we do this study and we do some of the preliminary engineering, then we'll try to figure out where the next 50 million or 60 million or 100 million or whatever it's going to cost to run this line is. At what point in time does some grown-up come in there and say, what? Haven't we realized that what we're doing now isn't working and the idea of of expanding it a little while, while that would go additional places, admittedly, it would go a little bit further, but it's not going to justify the expense and it's not going to have the ridership that's going to justify this. And yet we are prepared in the city of Milwaukee, they are prepared to throw tens of millions, perhaps hundreds of millions of dollars 
in favor of supporting this and extending the streetcar line that almost nobody is going to ride. It's like the story about the emperor's new clothes, you know, where the emperor's walking down the street naked and and, and everybody's, oh, he looks so wonderful because everybody's afraid to say this is a failure. Why is it in Milwaukee that nobody is willing to step up and say this is a failure and spending $250,000 to study expanding the thing is just, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, yeah, crazy. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Right, there's a, there's a, a small craft brewery on the near south side called Mob Craft Brewery, and they they specialize in what I will call sort of weird slash odd slash un- unusual types of beers. You know, you, you've got the traditional beers, you get your light beers, you've got your IPAs and things like that. But one of the things these craft brewers are finding that you can do is you, you can take all sorts of flavors and you can turn it into beer. And that's that's one of the, the mob craft things. They, they, they come up with weird flavors. And I don't necessarily mean that to be objectionable because, for example, they, they've got uh, July 17th, they've got their third annual Weird Fest that's coming up. And they will be highlighting some of the admittedly weird pairings that they make in their beer. For example, um, at Mobcraft Beer, you can buy a rhubarb IPA. You can buy a um, One Love Bunt Cake beer. You can buy a 2001 sour, um, let's see, sour golden ale. Um, they, they've got some of this stuff that's coming out soon. Blue Stone Crush, which is blueberry, mango, vanilla, and lactose. Um, Lemonada Love, which is lemon and lactose. You've got, uh, let's see, Boston Cream Dream, which is lactose, um, cocoa nibs, and vanilla. Then you've got Scotty G's Pie and Ice Cream, which is lactose, apple, cinnamon, and vanilla. They've got something called Fruity Hopples Milkshake IPA with Fruity Pebbles. <laughs> All right, so you get the you get the idea. It's it's weird sort of pairings, and, and and maybe they're good. I tend to be a traditionalist, and I don't kind of go in for the the kind of weird stuff. But it's it's their niche, and they they make like regular beer as well. Well, all right. Here's the controversy. So they've got this weird fest that's coming up that will be featuring some of their kind of weird offbeat flavors. So they're trying to attract people to go to their tap room. So they say, okay, in addition to our weird beers at Weird Fest, we're going to have weird food. So uh, apparently, according to the, the social media posts, the menu, now this is a brewery that typically serves like pizza, I think, and like sausages. The menu would have octopus, charred pork, tofu spring rolls. All right. So as soon as they put this on, and this again shows people that the politically correct and the perpetually offended. So they put this online, and the initial response is online commentators, according to the journal Sentinel, immediately take to online to criticize the brewery, saying, hey, you know, I mean, octopus, charred pork, tofu, spring rolls, these the, these are you know, mainstays on Japanese restaurants. How dare you call them them weird? Call, I'm, this is one of the Facebook postings. Calling this entire menu weird was xenophobic and promotes the racist ideology or perpetual foreigners. 
Okay, so it's it's like now to which Mobcraft says, "Wait a second, our, our kitchen normally serves pizza, so the idea behind Weird Fest was to offer something that a pizza kitchen kitchen would not normally offer." You know, we didn't intend to um, offend anybody, but then because this is the climate we live in, they have to apologize. Calling any food weird was a serious misstep on our part. We're sorry. It was not our intention to hurt or offend any culture by labeling any food strange or bizarre. This food may not be common coming from a pizza kitchen, but it is common for many people. We made a mistake. We will be removing the spring rolls from the menu for the upcoming event, but most importantly, we will continue to work to be better aware of how our actions impact the community. Okay, now let, let's let's just kind of take a step back here. I mean, it's it's a brewery that specializes in producing like weird sorts of of beers, and it's found a market. They normally sell pizza, okay? So as part of their weird fest, they are going to have food, which in context is is weird, including like octopus and charred pork, and I don't know about the tofu spring rolls, but I think what they were going for is this is not the type of stuff that you would typically see in a in a brewery um, that that normally produces uh, pizza. What is amazing to me, though, is this reaction that you have people that have so much time on their hands. Now, do I consider spring rolls to be strange or weird? No, I I don't. But that there's people out there who get offended by this and respond that, gee, you know, you're going to have octopus on your menu. Oh, that's and how dare you call that weird? And don't you realize that that's xenophobic? And don't you realize that that might be encouraging, you know, hate crimes against Asian Americans or stuff? It's just like it's weird for a brewery to have octopus on on the menu but now of course the brewery not wanting to alienate anybody they come out and they issue this apology and they promise to do better um in the they they promise to do better in the in the future and and that's i guess that's all well and good i don't care if they serve octopus i don't care if they serve pizza it doesn't matter to me what they serve but this idea that you've got people out there that decide that oh my gosh they're going to have asian food together with the beer and they're calling it weird we are so offended by that. This is terrible. You know, and my guess is, my guess is that a number of the people that were complaining about this, they probably weren't Asian in the first place. That, that would just be kind of my guess. These are the people that are just out there trolling the Internet, looking for something that is going to offend them. The offense, the insult du jour. And in this case, it was Mobcraft Brewery. Now they've apologized. Hopefully all is forgiven. And yes, I don't think spring rolls are necessarily weird food, but a brewery serving octopus, that's a bit unusual. But don't call it unusual either, because somebody will be upset with that. Okay, when we come back, for the love of God, don't call it Nazism. I'll explain. We'll discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I'm about to depart from the conventional wisdom espoused by some conservative commentators and especially some of the language comparing this to Nazi Germany or Nazi brown shirts, which, as I frequently say, and I mentioned this to commentators, politicians, observers on the left or the right, knock off, knock off the references to Nazi Germany or to Hitler or wherever because or, or the Holocaust, because they almost all they 
always fall short. I mean, there's there, the, the descriptions that you hear, oh, that's Hitler would have done that, or that's like the Holocaust. No, it's not. I mean, this was an incredibly dark time in world history. And when you compare such and such to the Holocaust, whether you're doing it from the left or the right, you, you, it, it's never an apt comparison, and it trivializes the Holocaust. Or when you compare the actions of this politician to Hitler or the Nazi brown shirts, you, you trivialize the horror that was Hitler and the Nazi brown shirts. Okay, which brings me to the effort to try to get more people vaccinated. Now, I have been very clear on this since the beginning. I I am pro-vaccination. I got vaccinated as soon as I could. I had no adverse reactions. And to me, that's why I feel comfortable going around without a mask. I'm, I'm not worried about getting COVID. I, I think the vaccinations work. And I am back to living my normal life. And I feel that's due to the vaccinations. I believe that the the slowing of the incidence of COVID and the number of hospitalizations and the number of deaths caused by COVID, it's been by because of the fact that while we're not at herd immunity, lots and lots of people in this country have, in fact, gotten vaccinated. So I, I am personally in favor of vaccinations. At the same time, with a couple exceptions, I think people should have the right to choose whether to be vaccinated or not. I'm not in favor of mandatory vaccinations, with a couple exceptions, like maybe for healthcare workers or things like that. But I, I think people have the right to make their own choice. And people have then the recognition that they've got to live with their choice. If you decide not to get vaccinated and you get COVID, well, that, that's, that's sort of on you because you've made that decision. I also respect the fact that there are people who are reluctant for a variety of reasons to get vaccinated and and maybe it's the fear of the unknown that that that's okay i don't share that but that's all right i respect your opinion at the same time i do believe that the more people who get vaccinated the the more the numbers of COVID cases are going to go down and the easier it's going to be for us to continue the return to normal. Okay, so here's the deal. In Milwaukee County, for example, um, overall about 49% of residents have had at least one shot. Um, by comparison, if you look at um, just like one zip code in the city of Milwaukee, 53206, only about 28% of people living in that area have had their first dose. Only 24% were fully vaccinated. Of vaccinated people in Milwaukee County, it's overwhelmingly white people. About 260,000 white people, 70,000 black people, 54,000 Hispanic people, according to the, the numbers. So in, in communities where there are, are people of color, the, the vaccination rate is lagging. So what the health department has started to do, and this is something that's been blessed um, on the county level, on the city level, and also on the national level, because Biden's starting to talk about this, is they have started a program where, uh, particularly in these areas that tend to be um, minority, heavily, you know, heavily occupied by minority members of minority groups, um, they, they've tend they've got people that are going door to door, and they're trying to 
encourage people to get vaccinated. They're not forcing people to be vaccinated, but they're going door to door and they're encouraging people to do it. Hey, have you been vaccinated? You know, if not, why not? They're asking questions. People don't have to answer. People aren't getting hauled off and forced to be vaccinated, but they're trying to do community outreach to encourage people to get vaccinated. And I think thus far in the first week or two of the program, they've 137. Now, I don't know if that's a lot or a little. I don't know if that's enough to make how much it costs and whether it's enough to make it worth the time. But and this is where I depart from some of the the commentators I've seen. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I don't have a problem with the the door-to-door efforts to to try to communicate, particularly in areas where there's large numbers of people who, for whatever reason, haven't been vaccinated. I don't have a problem with health officials going door-to-door and knocking on the door and saying, hey, have you been vaccinated? Would you like to be vaccinated? We can help you out. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And no, I, I don't think this is like the... It's not it's not like Hitler's Germany. It's not like the brown shirts. It's not like the secret police. It's, you know, going door to door and especially in areas where for whatever reason there has been a hesitation or reluctance or whatever word you want to use for people to go out and get vaccinated. It's it's doing an outreach to encourage them to do that, to actually get vaccinated. And I don't have a problem with it. Do you? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, they're doing this in Milwaukee, but they're doing this in, in communities all across the country. In, in areas where there is a disproportionately large number of people who haven't gotten vaccinated, and a lot of these tend to be areas that are, are heavily heavily uh, where uh, large minority populations tend to live in. Well, what they're doing is that they're, they have these, in many cases, it's volunteers are working with the local health departments, including Milwaukee, and they're going door to door and they're trying to encourage people to get vaccinated. Now, nobody's being hauled out of their houses in the middle of the night and, you know, stuck in their arm without getting a, a jab in their arm without their permission. But it is a policy where they're, you know, going door to door and they're saying, hey, have you been, have you been vaccinated? Do you have any questions about this? And they're trying to encourage people to do it. And I think, like I say, since they started the program in Milwaukee not that long ago, they've got like 137 vaccinations. Now, I don't know about the cost benefit of this, whether whatever its cost, and there's a lot of volunteers, whether that, that's that's worth the effort if you get 137. But in general, I don't have a problem with the concept. 855-616-1620. Jeff, going door-to-door um, is borderline bullying people into getting vaccinated that uh, might not have felt comfortable with it in the first place. Well, I I don't know. You know, when the Jehovah's Witness folks come to the, the door and they, they knock on it and I, I don't know. I don't have a problem saying, okay, sorry, not, not, not interested. You know, have, have a nice day. I mean, I, I don't know that, that that's borderline bullying. Now, if you get reports that the people from the health department are trying to force their way into people's houses, that's a different story. Um, Jeff, I don't like answering the door to strangers, door to salesmen, Girl Scouts, and even Jehovah's Witnesses are a thing of the past. Well, then you don't answer the door. I, I mean, it, it's, 
okay, if you got somebody from the health department that's there offering you this and you don't want to answer the door, well, just, just don't answer the door. Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, it seems like they're basically shoving it down people's throats and making it seem like unvaccinated people are the enemy. What happened to my body, my choice? So I, I think, I don't know that I agree with that. It strikes me that that's kind of an overreaction to this. I suspect that there's a lot of people particularly in some of the areas where they're highlighting who maybe the, the information hasn't gotten out about the vaccine or, or maybe there's questions about it or, or whatever. So they're, they're doing the door to door outreach and, and people, I mean, people can still say no, can't they? Uh, Jeff, my problem is cost. How much is it costing per shot to have these people go door to door? My guess being government driven, it's costing a lot for each one. Like I say, there, there's a lot of volunteers here, but that's, that's fair. You know, at, at some point in time, you do a cost-benefit analysis to see how much does this program cost versus what the returns are. But you don't know that till you've given it a little bit of an opportunity to go. And and I understand there's a lot of commentators saying this is like the Gestapo. No, it, it's it, it's not. Is this any different than having? I don't know, firemen, firefighters, for example, go door to door, for example, and talk about, hey, you know, do you have smoke detectors in your house? Do you have here, you know, is that because they do that here? Do you have smoke? Do you have working smoke detectors? Do you need batteries? Things like that. I mean, we, we do it. Ray from Illinois says, I think it's a good idea. If people want the pandemic to end and truly get back to normal, they need to get vaccinated. It's a little encouragement, maybe a little encouragement. We'll get a few thing, few people to do it. And that's a good thing. I I don't know if it's going to work or, or not. Jeff, we go door to door every 10 years to collect data for the census. How is this any different? Well, I don't think it is any difference. Jeff, it's ridiculous. No one's going to convince me to get vaccinated. I wouldn't answer my door. And I suspect that there's a lot of people who are in exactly that situation. And, and that's fine. You know, you're not going to answer your door. You're going to tell them you're not interested. That That's all well and good. But you know, the 137 people have apparently said, yeah, I'll get vaccinated. I guess I just don't understand how this is a bad thing. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I, I, I mentioned this about a week or so ago. I've been following the case of Trevor Bauer. Melissa, this was the, we, we talked about this before. This is the, he's won the Cy Young Award mm-hmm. twice. Once with Cincinnati and uh, once with Cleveland. This spring, he signs a $102 million contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So this guy is, is he's 33 years old, I believe. He's, he's one of the, the best pitchers in Major League Baseball. Somebody thinks he's the best. But I mean, he's got the world by the tail. You know, he's, and for people who haven't been following this story, what happens in April, he, he now, he lives in Pasadena, California. He, he's on the internet. What could go wrong with this? He's on the internet and somehow he starts corresponding with some woman who he does not know, who he's never met except through the internet. And they start talking about like, okay, PG 13 warning. Do, 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 do. All right. They start talking about like rough sex. And, and now, so here you got this guy that, that's, you know, um, I mean, He's got, he just signed a $102 million contract. He's a Major League Baseball star, and he's talking to some woman who he does not know and has never met over the Internet about, like, rough sex and stuff. All right, now, that's weird enough. But then 
then what could go wrong with this? He invites this woman up to his house, gives her directions, come on over. So this woman who he has never met before in his life comes over to his, you know, I assume like mansion type house in, in, in uh, Pasadena. And by by his own admission, they then engage in, in these sort of activities, punching, choking, all this, this sort of stuff. All right. So she leaves. OK, they, they continue corresponding. She comes back for a second, you know, go around and they do it again. And, you know, then then she leaves again. Then next thing you know is she's got a lawyer. She's in court. And, you know, she's saying, hey, he beat me up. You know, this was I consented to do some stuff, but I didn't consent to do other stuff. Here's these pictures. I want a restraining order, et cetera, et cetera. And the whole thing ends up going public. Well, all right. I guess my point, Melissa, was always. Well, I guess we know what the guy was thinking, but where, where, how do you think that this could have turned out well? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I have been reading about this, and it's absolutely disgusting. If you get into the nitty gritty and the details, I, I don't know who would want to do some of the things that were that was done. Um, if you if you you can dig around the internet and get some gruesome, yeah. gruesome details, but I, I don't understand this way of thinking. If you're at that level uh, as a professional athlete, I think maybe I mean maybe there's something like a. I don't, uh, what, you, psychological, like maybe well, no, or, or off just, on something that's or just a lack of impulse dangerous. control. I, I know I, it is, but so the bottom line is: so Major League Baseball. This is the update on this. Major League Baseball swooped in, and even though he hasn't been criminally charged, they suspended him for seven days. But th- there's all this pressure because now you have all these victims' rights groups in Los Angeles who are 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 just putting all sorts of pressures on the pressure on the Dodgers saying you you can't put this guy back on on the team because I mean look at the things that he's consensual or not look at the things that he's alleged to have done this would be an insult to victims of sexual assault everywhere and it's just a complete mess major league baseball has stepped in they've suspended him for 7 days but now I think they've continued this um he, he's not on the all-star team or anything it's just this guy's career arguably is in complete and total tatters because I, even if he comes back, even if he somehow they say, well, we're not going to suspend you, how do you come back from something like this? You, yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, I think time, you know, if I, over time, I don't know. Uh, yeah, well, it's kind of like, to me, I lumped this in the same category as we were talking about yesterday about, you know, Bill Cosby, yeah, who exactly. won the legal lottery. Bill Cosby, at the age of 83, his handlers are talking about, let's have, let's let's send Bill Cosby on the, the, the Bill Cosby co- uh, comedy tour 2021-2022, to which you say, who in who thinks that that's going to do that? You yeah, know? once you once you are convicted of these things, or you do these things, or facts come out that they, these things are happening, that's a stain that is never going to go away. Well, right, and it's just, and you just wonder. And I'm sure if I'm the Los Angeles Dodgers, and you know who were I think perhaps odds-on favorites yeah. to win the World Series, now it's like. Okay, if we were counting on on this character, you know, I I, I don't know that you can. But so he's now been suspended. That's the update on the story. But again, it's one of these examples of just incredible, incredible bad judgment on on the part of people who have the world by the tail and just somehow manage to (laughs) to just kick it away. People that win the lottery and then blow all the money, stuff uh, like that. But this is much worse. But uh, well, <laughs> kind yeah, of in the same just, vein. I, you just you just kind of wonder, like, what what what? Why did you think that this could be a good idea? And multiple times. Multiple. Well, right. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, right. Ooh. Yeah. Well, I, I guess you figure it worked out the first time. It's just it's 
so bizarre on so many different levels. Uh, bottom line is the Internet is not always your friend. When we come back, all right, prominent Wisconsin politician, your chance to give him some advice. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One of our texters says, Jeff, latest on the Trevor Bauer story is a woman who's friends with the quote-unquote victim indicates that she was planning something like this on purpose and sent texts to police and authorities, to which my response was, which is why inviting her to his house in the first place was stupid in the extreme. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I say, what, what good could have come of this? And the answer is none. All right. It is now July of 2021. I know it seems like we we just got over a never-ending election cycle, but it is starting up again. There are, at last count, five or six Democrats who are running to challenge for the Democratic nomination for U.S. Senate in November of 2022. The latest is uh, Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, who's apparently raising money, even though he hasn't formally announced. Uh, the son of the Milwaukee Bucks owner, Alex Lazary, he's one of the candidates. There's a whole bunch of other candidates that are out there. Everybody wants a chance to run for the seat that's currently occupied by U.S. Senator Ron Johnson. Uh, Johnson is up for re-election. As we've said before, um, he's got a target on his back because... Just, just as a starting point, he is he's the only incumbent Republican who, if he runs for reelection, if he runs, he will be running in a state that Joe Biden carried. So that immediately makes him vulnerable. There's going to be just a ton of money that's poured into this because right now the Senate is split 50-50. And um, obviously – for the Democrats, if they intend to retain control of the Senate, now it's they've, and I say retain control, there's 50 Democrats and the vice president is a Democrat, so that gives them control, but you can't lose too many votes, et cetera, et cetera. So if, if the Democrats are going to retain control for the second two years of Joe Biden's term, uh, one of the keys, they got to pick up a couple seats somewhere and the, perception is that Ron Johnson, if he runs again, is perhaps the most vulnerable Republican that's out there. All right. Senator Johnson, who has been a a lightning rod, and we've talked about this for, you know, for, for quite a while. He's been sort of out front on a number of issues. He's drawn the scorn of the, the national press and the local press. And, you know, he's again, he's the the left is going after him big time. Some of the allies in their allies in the media are going after him big time. And as I've said before, I think on a couple issues, Senator Johnson has, in my opinion, picked fights that I don't understand why he's he's picked. But he's still not decided whether or not he is going to run for re-election. Now, he originally said he wasn't going to run for a third term. He said he was going to be a two-term senator and then go back to, you know, living his life. He's backed away on that um, recently, and, um, you know, he, he is sort of on the campaign trail. I mean, he, he made an appearance at the state Republican convention. You know, he's been doing various speeches to Republican groups. He's on Fox News a lot. You know, he he's out there explaining himself and criticizing the media for what he thinks is unfair attention. So it's unclear about whether or not Senator Johnson's going to run again. However, 
What's happened is by his not making announcement one way or the other, he's pretty much got everything put on hold because you have Republican candidates or potential candidates who would be inclined to run, but they're not going to challenge him. So they're waiting to see if he runs or not. You have some people who I think would be inclined maybe to run for for governor if he doesn't, if, if Ron Johnson decides he's going to seek re-election. Um, alternatively, if Ron Johnson decides he's going to step down, you have some very good candidates who might run on the Republican side to replace him. He, he has not decided, and there's a lot of people close to him that say that he generally, just generally is undecided now about, you know, what he's going to do. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, one segment. You have an opportunity to offer some advice to the senator. Not should he stay or should he go, but should he run for re-election for a third term in November of 2022? I have said before that regardless of what his decision is, I think he should make that decision sooner rather than later. If he's going to run, that's fine. He needs to get out there and recognize that there's a lot of people running against him and he needs to be aggressive in defending his record. Um, if he's not going to run, he needs to get out of the way and allow people who want to be a successor to build statewide organizations and to raise the dough. But that that kind of begs the question about whether he should run or not in the first place. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Uh, Don in Bellevue. Don, good afternoon. Hi, how's it going? Great show as usual. Thank you, sir. What do you think? Should, uh, should Johnson run again? No. He's, if you care about the long-term prospects of the Republican Party, he needs to go. Uh, I'm a long-term Republican voter, and I think he's just gone off the rails. He's not a conservative. He's a Trumper. You know, he's still in denial that... that President Trump lost the election. He's bringing out people, five people that haven't had this issue with the vaccine. It's it's all you know, QAnon and and uh, hats, as far as I can tell. I don't know what happened to him, but he is not the guy I voted for in 2010 at all. Not even close. Okay, so if he runs for re-election for a third term, do you think can you see a can you see a scenario where you vote for him? Uh, honestly, today as we speak, no. Okay. All right. Thank, thanks. He's just gone off the rails. No. Th- thanks for calling. Now, again, I, th- that's a tough question to answer because the 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 question would be what what is you know what is the alternative that's out there. But I I do think that Senator Johnson, who who got elected in 2010 by by being the guy who's running those great ads, some of the best ads I've ever seen with the whiteboard saying, "Hey, there's all these lawyers in the Senate." Well, here I'm I'm a business guy, and you you do the math and all that, and who ran about the the math of Obamacare and stuff like that. Really compelling ads he he's you know it, it's difficult to bring that guy back and again he's he's right or wrong he's picked some fights that i just i frankly don't understand uh jeff i think that 12 years is enough uh jeff i'm a democrat run ron run uh jeff maybe ron johnson is waiting for aaron Rodgers to decide whether he'll be returning to the packers they both seem to be unable to make a decision jeff i think the senator should run and continue to be one of the few people on the right that has a backbone and will fight back against the smear campaign and lies from the left and the media 
Um, Jeff, I don't think Senator Johnson should run. He's too close to Trump, and I think that'll hurt him. I think he should announce that he is not running and allow other Republicans to get into the race. The longer he delays, the more likely he makes it that a Democrat will take over the seat. Jeff, we need Ron Johnson in November of 22. He's smart, independently wealthy, not afraid to state his opinion and cut through the political mumbo jumbo in Washington. The longer he waits, the more damage is done nationally and Wisconsin politics. Um, Jeff, please run. He's the only senator who I don't believe is a pushover. Jeff, I think he needs to make a decision, although that's not the phrase that the texter uses that I can't say on the radio. Jeff, run, yes, but what's the rush? We have to deal with this election stuff for way too long. No, see, that's where I, I, I do strongly disagree. I, if, if Senator Johnson wants to run for a third term, he, he will undoubtedly be the Republican nominee. But you, you got to understand, the long knives are out. He's got to be in full campaign mode, I think, like starting a couple months ago. And I'm talking about running ads, and I'm talking about you know reaching out to the, the voters, you know, not the hardcore 30 or 35 percent, you know, staunch conservative voters, but that, that middle ground that's always going to get you elected, you need to get elected in Wisconsin, that, that candidly, I think, may have been turned off by some of the stuff. He, he needs to he needs to secure that he needs to move beyond the base alternative and, and you got to do that right away alternatively and I, I can't emphasize this enough it it running running a statewide campaign Wisconsin's a big state and it costs a lot of money to run TV ads it takes a lot of time to build an organization and from the perspective of Republicans who want to be the US senator if if Ron Johnson if he's going to pull out, he needs to do it right away so it clears the field, so people who might be inclined to run for Senate can go out and do it. Because right now, everything is on hold. And it's not just, as I was mentioning earlier, it's not just the U.S. Senate race, but it's also the governor's race, where you have people that are sitting there thinking, okay, well, I'd like to run against Tony Evers, but... Um, I, I really want to be the U.S. Senator, so I'm waiting to see what Ron Johnson does. Everything is on hold. Building organizations, raising money, all those different types of things, waiting for you know, Senator Johnson to make his decision. Does he have to do it? No. You know, he, he can wait for as long as he chooses, but every day he delays, I believe, that hurts that hurts the Republican Party, who would be interested in trying to retain that seat if he steps down. If he does run again, well, he's got to come up with a pretty darn good campaign, and he needs to be getting out there aggressively making the case for why he needs to be reelected, because it's going to be a much different election in 2022 than it was in 2016 against Russ Feingold or when it was in 2010 against Russ Feingold. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. Well, like the big voice guy says, this is Pop Culture Corner, and, and we, we're not talking about the U.S. pulling out of Afghanistan or 30 cars being stolen a day on the mean streets of Milwaukee or whether this politician or that politician should run again. Have a little bit of fun as we go into the weekend. Now, especially during the summer, there's so much stuff to do 
that it, it, I don't know about you, but I, I'm, it seems like I'm always out of the house between, you know, going and running here and there and seeing various friends or like tonight I'm going to a baseball game or I'm trying to play more golf this year, all, all these different activities or you're working outside. You know, there, there's all this stuff to, to do and, and there's less time to just kind of sit and veg out. You know, we have a, we have a lot of opportunities to do that, like during the winter where we're trapped inside our homes when it's 10 degrees below zero and there's like six feet of snow on the ground and things like that. So there, there's less and less time to just, I don't know, sit there and play on, on the Internet or, or watch you know, TV and things like that, which you would think would mean that if we've got fewer amounts of time to do it, that we'd be more selective in the stuff that we watch. Well, that's what you would think, but that's not how it works, at least with, with me. What I, what I find, and I'm not proud of this, not proud of this at all, but what I find is in the moments that I get to sit and watch TV where I'm not watching some live sporting event or something, instead of, I don't know, finding finding the, the show that's really going to like stimulate me mentally and stuff like that, I, I, I tend to be vegging out on, on things, including stuff that I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed that, that I end up watching. And the most recent example of that is we have at my house – because my wife wanted it. We have Disney Plus. Okay, so I, and I, I just, we have all these different streaming services and all, and I just, for for some reason, I, I mean, and I don't, I don't watch them a lot, but for some reason on Disney Plus recently, I, I got, they have like the Marvel, which is the comic book thing, and I grew up reading comic books, and they've just, they've rolled out this five-part series on the comic book character Loki. Uh, who is if you if you follow the comic books he's the enemy of thor and and it's kind of an anti-hero sort of thing i got into this show it, the, the show has a talking alligator in it for god's sake there's a talking alligator and there's all these different variations of look i won't even try to explain it other than I've gotten hooked on this stupid show, and it's a six-part miniseries. They roll out. Instead of dropping it all at once, they roll it out You know, once a week. It rolls out on Wednesdays, and I find myself, when, honest to goodness, when I go home after the show on Wednesday, first thing I do is I sit down. The episodes are like 30 or 40 minutes long, so it's not like a huge commitment, and I watch this stupid show. At one point in time, my wife comes in while I'm watching the show, and she's looking at these like comic book characters. And did I mention there's a talking alligator? And she's like, "What are you doing? <laughs> you know, it's just you're you're a reasonably smart guy. No, reasonably, you know what this is. You're you're watching. There's a talking alligator. What the heck is this? And I admit that this Loki TV show has become what I'm going to describe as one of the guilty pleasures in my life. I, I I enjoy the show. I'm going to be sorry to see when the miniseries ends, you know, next week. But it is a guilty pleasure. I confess, I like watching Loki. All right, Pop Culture Corner. We do this from time to time. It's always one of the more fun segments. Um, do you have a guilty pleasure, whether it's a movie or whether it's a TV series, you know, something that you find yourself watching, and, and you know, this is just, gosh, I hope nobody will, comes in and, and watches me see this, <laughs> watches me see this, because I can't believe that I'm going to have to justify why I'm watching it. The Loki TV show is my latest guilty pleasure. What's yours? 855-616-1620. It can be a movie. It can be a TV program. Guilty pleasure. That thing that you just like, but you know, 
You know, it, it's tough to explain to anybody else why you like it. 855-616-1620. Go with your first instinct. That's what we always tell people. And um, our phone lines tend to jam up. So if you're going to call, call quickly. We want to get as many calls as we possibly can before the end of the program. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. Jeff, my guilty pleasure is Married at First Light, site on Lifetime Network. I love the drama of couples intentionally mismatched by producers and admire the few who are still able to build something. Jeff, I still have to watch General Hospital. It's still on the air. I must be the only person to end up watching it. Jeff, mine is Beavis and Butthead. I happened to find it by accident one night. My wife walked in at 1 a.m. and gave me the classic, I married a moron look. Yeah, I get that all the time. Let's start with Jason. Jason. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. I I caught it. it. It's on it's on Lifetime Network, and I caught it. My wife and I caught it a few months ago. They have every Grey's Anatomy episode from <laughs> season one, and I'm now on episode twelve or thirteen of season thirteen. I, I, so if I'm not there, I DVR it. It's oh, you know. I, I I don't think I've ever watched an entire episode of Grey's Anatomy. My my wife will will have it on from time to time, uh, but it, it's amazing. That's lasted thirteen years, right? It's it's like thirteen seasons, right? It's incredible. <laughs> and and I have to tell you, the writers of that show are absolutely sadistic. <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> well, that, thanks. See, that's that's the thing. That's the thing about a guilty pleasure. It draws you in. Uh, Gianni in Montello. Good afternoon. Hi. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, listen, uh, I, I have to confess, uh, it's 90 Day Fiance. On, um, I, I, it's uh, 183 on the, yeah. on the satellite system. But I have to say, Jeff, I, you know, I, I, I am... This afternoon, I am cutting my cable. I just, uh, my satellite, I just put up a, a, a regular antenna, then I'll be able to get stations from Green Bay. And uh, but, but you're going to miss 90 Day Fiance. You're going to miss oh, 90 Day Fiance. I will, but I, I, I will, but, uh, you know, I hope it's scripted. Well, some, right. some of these relationships is a disaster. Right. I think, well, that's, I, I've, I, I've, I've never watched an entire, I know what 90 Day Fiance is, but I'm proud to say I've never watched that one through. But you're talking to a guy who watches Gold Rush and Bering Sea Gold, um, and tapes it, you know, every Friday night, like I will tonight, and who's waiting for the next episode of Loki to come out. So, I mean, I admit, I do not have the high road. Paul, um, Paul, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi there. Hi, Paul. My wife and I got hooked on watching Big Sky during the pandemic. It's just uh, we normally don't watch shows with murders and so forth, but I think I have it on my calendar (laughs) when it comes back on in September again. But we set our alarms, put it on our calendars, and we don't miss it. Well, there you go. I mean, again, that that's another one. See, this is the thing. There's so much of this stuff out there that I think for a lot of us, we. I, I mean, I'm looking at all the texts I'm getting on this stuff, and there, there's shows that I, I admit that I, I haven't, um, I haven't heard of before, and and it doesn't sound like if I stumbled across them, I'd watch them. But I understand, Jeff. Miami boat ramps channel on YouTube. It's videos of people trying to launch their boats. It's addicting. And it's hysterical. Um, Jeff, for me, my guilty pleasure is the Flintstones. Yeah, I can get that. I understand how that would be. You know, you sit there and you watch it. And even if you know how it turns out, you know, <clears throat> no problem at all. Um, 
Let's see. Jeff, my guilty pleasure is watching reruns of The Golden Girls. Well, that's on like Nick at Night or whatever it is late at night after they show all these friends. Jeff, The Gilmore Girls. Now, look, I understand where that would come from because my wife got into The Gilmore Girls and watched all the different segments of it, all the different seasons of it. She binge watched it. I think there were like seven. And I admit... I, I started watching a few of them, and it was one where kind of like, you know, alcoholics have that, that moment of, of awareness where you say, I got to stop doing this. I, I, I was able to quit early on, but I understand where this could be. Um, Chrissy, Chrissy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. My guilty pleasure, like your wife's, uh, the Hallmark Christmas movies and all the movies. Oh, and my, uh, my God, they've got Christmas in July now. Every time I turn around, they're, there's, they're, they're re-showing all the Christmas movies in July. Uh. I know. The Hallmark movies just finished, and now the regular Hallmark movies started today. <laughs> okay. So, all right. <laughs> all right. So, thank, thank, okay. That's, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. No, th- thanks for calling. I, Hallmark... And look, I, I, I take my hat off to them. I have a lot of respect for this whole thing because, I mean, they've, they've really nailed something. I mean, they have, they have tapped into the fact, I, I've talked about the Hallmark movies before. You know, it's the same movie over and over again. The Hallmark Christmas movies are the same movie. I can tell you two minutes into it how it's going to turn out, but it doesn't matter because, you know, they're giving people what they want and it's a little bit of relief and it's, hey, this is, this is fine and the main characters aren't going to die in the end and you know everything's going to be fine. The boy and the girl are going to get together and they're going to save the little hotel, hometown. I, so I get it. I understand exactly why that is. Mike, Mike, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, my guilty pleasure has got to be Blue Bloods. I loved it in 2010 when it first came in. It's got to be Tom Selleck. Uh, what a way to cap his career with uh, being the the uh, commissioner of police of New York City. Yeah, what is is I, you know, I've never seen that one either. What what channel is that on? That's not on one of the major net. That's a cable show, right? Blue Bloods. No, that's that's uh, that's on CBS. On it's CBS, CBS okay. Show. Got it. All right. Yep. Yeah. Every, I mean, Friday, every Friday night. Okay. <laughs> and now it's picked up. It's picked up by Ion Television too, so you can watch it all day Wednesdays too. Okay. That, that's that's good. Thanks for calling. A love it or list it. A number of people are texting that. I, I saw that once. That's where they come in and they offer people an opportunity to like redo their home or or like help them buy a new one or stuff that's that's sort of addictive in a way as well that that's the thing about these guilty pleasures they're incredibly addictive i gold rush is another one for me and you know just i i don't know my wife will say why do you like this and i i don't know the idea and i know there's a guy from Milwaukee that's on that but it's it's the idea of these these people that are in some Yukon gold field and they're they're trying to they're spending all this money to make a little bit of gold and you keep thinking you know for most of these guys wouldn't they just be better off like working at a regular job let's talk to let's see jeff in beaver dam jeff you're on wtmj good afternoon hi jeff hey um my guilty pleasure is uh binging on the netflix series the 100 uh interesting show about survival but uh i cut the cord from direct tv about three months ago and the big difference, no commercials, and you can see the story, you know, right. in progression with multiple episodes, one right after another. Right. Well, that is, I mean, thanks. See, that is that is the appeal, especially of the of the binge watching stuff, and that's 
that's what I, I like about like the Netflix concept and stuff that, you know, they, they drop the whole things at once. So you don't have to wait like I have to on Disney Plus. You don't have to wait, you know, every week to see what's going to happen next in the Loki thing. You don't have to wait till Wednesdays. You can just watch it all at once. I, and so I, I do like the binge watching thing. I have seen The Hundred, and that's pretty good. Tom in Greenfield. Tom, you're on WTMJ. I'm sorry, Tom Downtown. Hi, Tom. Oh, hi, Jeff. Uh, great, great show. Thank you. Um, yeah, I like the old Rod Serling's uh, "The Twilight Zone." Right, right. The um, I love, I love watching those. I've, I'm sure I've seen them all, but I, I still enjoy that show. You know, I love. Is it New Year's Eve that they always have like the Twilight, like once or twice a year on Sci-Fi Channel or whatever it is? They they have the Twilight Zone marathons, and there's always a couple. Mm-hmm. There's a couple that I I like, and I, I I'll always look through to see when the 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 ones that I particularly like are on, and kind of make a point of watching yeah. them because they never get old. Yeah. No, right, I, right. I get it. No, I, I love it. Um, Jeff, here's my guilty pleasure. This really is a guilty pleasure. Say yes to the dress. The show is about buying your wedding dress. And the funny thing is, um, I have three boys, no daughters. No, I get the say yes to the dress thing. And you really get to see kind of the, the bridezillas that are out there. And, you know, I, 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 I understand say yes to the dress. That's got an appeal as well. Okay. Whatever your guilty pleasure is, watching TV, look, you, you've heard some of ours. Don't feel too bad about it. It's harmless. It's fun entertainment. You never have to apologize to anybody if you like some of these shows. That's Pop Culture Corner for this week. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News.